True Gay Crime contains coarse language, adult themes, and content that is violent and disturbing. If at any time you feel you need help, please refer to the toll-free crisis lines in the show notes. Welcome to another episode of True Gay Crime. I'm your host, Patrick Morano, and in today's episode, we have it all. Porn, sex, greed, murder. It's all here. The story of King Cobra. And if you haven't seen the 2016 movie with starring James Franco on the subject, run and go see it. Because who doesn't love James Franco? And this is a movie about gay porn. So gay porn plus James Franco. Hello. I want to say thank you to everybody for their support of this podcast. And really, I couldn't do it without the support and the lovely words from you. So thank you so much for listening. If you would like to become a patron and to help support my art and this podcast, I have a Patreon page and the link is in the show notes for you. And also, just a reminder, word of mouth is my friend. So if you're enjoying this, tell one person and that will just spread like wildfire. I guess it wasn't going to take long before I was going to find a murder story um, that revolved around porn. Because this industry is so volatile. I mean, it's just ripe. It's just ripe and ready for things to go wrong. I mean, there's so much. uh, Anytime you have something that is the, you know, on the outskirts or the underbelly or, um, you know, not in, well, it's not, it's not even not in the mainstream, but it's like, and more and more, more and more acceptable. But especially historically. I mean, it's always been sort of an underbelly scene. And whenever you have that, then you're going to have greed, you're going to have corruption, you're going to have drugs, you're going to have murder. You're going to have overdoses, you're going to have suicides. There is so much drama and so many stories within the gay porn industry specifically that has just been ravaged, you know, in the 80s and the 90s with uh, with HIV and AIDS um, and just has attracted... a. a typically, you know, the type of person where it's just, they're either lost, or, you know, they're looking for a quick buck, or, you know, they just don't fit anywhere else. And so there's a lot of these uh, people from different walks of life um, that are attracted to that industry for various reasons. And, And then, of course, you do get the scholars, you do get the people that have full-time jobs, that are professors, that do this on the side, that are just into it for the exhibitionism and the, the sexual thrill of it all. So it's really an industry that does attract all different kinds of people. But because of the nature of the industry, um, you know, historically not being well-regulated, the whole casting couch situation, I mean, if that applies to Hollywood... Hello, porn industry. Hello, over here. What you looking at? I'm looking at you, Casting Couch. You know, the fact that, um, you know, there was a whole scandal for a while with people being underage, and we're going to touch on that in this story that's coming up soon. Um, King Cobra with Brent Corrigan, you know, the underageness of it all, you know, the people that are high on set, and, you know, not that producers um, encourage that kind of behavior and stuff, but it happens, you know, and abuse. Uh, and then the the straight side of it is a whole other can of worms. So I'm not even going to get into that. So without further ado, here is the story of King Cobra, Brent Corrigan, Joe and Harlow, the porn murder. 
So our story begins on Yahoo in a chat room where Harlow Quadra says he first meets Joe Karekis looking for a hookup. They decide, I mean, Yahoo. I mean, that tells you that this is date. This is the early 2000s, by the way. They met in a Yahoo chat room. If you're old enough to remember Yahoo chat rooms, which I am, um, they decide to meet in a mall in Virginia, Florida, and 28-year-old fading escort, former Marine and youth pastor Joe, meets handsome 20-year-old Navy recruit Harlow. I love that name, Harlow. It sounds so Gene Harlow. That's what I'm thinking of, right? Yeah, it sounds very like old, old Hollywood. Okay. They hook up at Harlow's parents' house for four hours. I mean, like they timed it. And they go to Wendy's at 2 a.m., which sounds delicious. Joe is eight years older than Harlow, and to Harlow, a seemingly stable character who runs his own escorting business. He's from a Christian family in Virginia Beach and becomes a youth pastor at Bethel Temple. This is Joe now. And he's a youth pastor at the Conservative Assemblies of God megachurch in Hampton, Virginia. He's a gifted pastor, but he has a temper which gets him into trouble, and he's eventually asked to leave the church. I wonder what he did. Like, did he punch a priest or a pastor? Like, he got angry? Did he yell? I don't, I I want to, I want to know what happened. Um, He then goes on to Marine Boot Camp, which is, whenever somebody has anger management issues, I find they end up in the Marines. Um, Then he's discharged after a few weeks for his anger management issues, of course. It's then that Joe starts working as a gay escort, and he hires others to work for him, too, and he builds a business called NorfolkMaleEscorts.com. So he's from Norfolk, Virginia, so this is very local. Um, But apparently he does pretty well. His escort name at the time is Mark, and on the Boy Batter videos, he goes by the name Trent. So depending on where you find this guy, Joe goes by different names. Now, Remember, Joe has met Harlow. Now, Harlow himself, being younger, is looking for a direction in his life, and he needs somebody to take the lead and to show him the ropes and to show him the way. So he is instantly drawn to Joe. Now, the men are inseparable, and Joe convinces Harlow to leave the Navy and to move in with him. Now, Harlow is feeling like he has found a safe home. He's found somebody to take care of him, so he happily moves in with him. It quickly becomes clear that Joe is holding all the cards because they're living in his house. It's his car that they drive. He's buying the food. He buys the clothes. Um, and Harlow becomes really dependent on Joe for survival. And Joe becomes extremely possessive of Harlow. So these guys are in balls deep now with each other. Now, Joe says to, to Harlow, he says, Harlow, can you go on an escorting call for me? It's an ex-NFL guy. He just wants to play with your feet. And that's basically how Harlow gets started in the escorting business. He didn't really want to do it, but he's thinking, it's just my feet. What's the harm? And then suddenly he's an escort. So there you go. So to pay his way, uh, Harlow allows Joe to pimp him out and to be part of his escorting services he offers his clients. Um, The escorting service is a website that employs active duty servicemen from nearby military bases. Joe later claims that he, or the business, pulled in a million dollars a year. I don't know if that's true. That sounds like a lot. That sounds like a lot of money. Sign me up. Okay, the pair are now lovers and business partners, with both of them providing escorting services. The money is rolling in as Harlow looks underage, and clients are willing to pay a premium for the pleasure. So, remember at the beginning, uh, before I started the story, I said we're going to talk about the underage thing, which is a really big part of this story. So, 
The couple starts in a $300 a month rented room and they end up purchasing a $500,000 house in a cul-de-sac in a very nice neighborhood. They eat out every night. They're spending five dollars to $600 per meal. Joe buys a chinchilla coat for $6,000, which sounds super practical. Uh, and he wears a 3.5 carat diamond stud in his ear. Harlow's is 2.5 carats. So the pair are also wearing Rolex watches. They they have five or six pairs. They work out every day to keep in shape. Joe flies out to Phoenix for liposuction to get washboard abs, which costs $6,000 because obviously they both need to look good for their jobs. Now, eventually, they begin to dream bigger than just the escorting. Joe has visions of starting a porn company, and so they start filming under the brand Viper Boys, which is in direct competition of the very successful at the time, Cobra Video. So unfortunately for them, the movies aren't bringing in enough money to support their lavish life. Like, they were probably making good money with the movies and the escorting, but because these losers were blowing all of their cash on stupid shit, their lifestyle was not being supported by their businesses. So they end up with this huge mountain of debt that continues to pile up on top of them. So the pair sit down and to brainstorm different ways to make money from their porn movies. And finally, they land on what they think is a jackpot idea. So Harlow would film a scene, they decided, with the hottest name in gay porn at the time, Brent Corrigan. They estimate a scene like that would bring in a million dollars, which, ironically, is approximately the amount of debt that Joe and Harlow are facing at the time. How do you get... Listen, I know debt creeps up on you. I got it. I get it. But a million dollars? Like, at what point... There must have been a point somewhere when you're thousands, tens of thousands hundreds of thousands. I mean, at some point you must be like, okay, dude, wow, we need to really do something. Alarm bells didn't go off for them. I don't. Okay. So let's switch gears now and find out a little bit about Brent Corrigan, who plays an integral part of this story. And let's see how he becomes the biggest name in porn at the time. So Corrigan is born Sean Paul Lockhart on Halloween, 1986 in Lewiston, Idaho. He has three other siblings, and the family grew up in a suburb of Mill Creek near Seattle, Washington with their stepfather. He doesn't know his biological father at all, and his mom and stepdad get divorced when he's only eight years old. He stays with his stepdad in Washington State, and his mom moves down to San Diego. In his teens, Corrigan reconciles with his mom, and he moves down to San Diego to be with her. Now, they have like no money. They have nothing. The two of them are living in a flop house. They're barely scraping by. A flophouse, by the way, is a cheap rooming house or hotel. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure. I thought I was confusing it with like a rehab house or like a halfway house. It's not. Okay, Sean realizes he needs to start making money fast, but he's got limited life skills, limited opportunities, and his choices are basically, they boil down to escorting, dealing drugs, or doing adult work. So he decides on doing adult work since it seems like the least risky highest reward option for him at the time. Now, Corrigan meets his first boyfriend at the age of 16. And one evening while Corrigan is napping, his boyfriend messages a porn producer out east looking to get into the industry. His boyfriend wants to get into the industry. The producer does not find this guy very attractive, but uh, the boy is bragging about his new hot boyfriend and he points the camera towards the bed where Corrigan is asleep. Now, the producer is intrigued, 
So the boy goes over to the bed and he starts pulling back the covers to reveal a naked Corrigan. The producer is liking what he sees and not knowing the boy is underage, of course, because they lie to him. They say Corrigan is about to turn 18. Corrigan gazes back into the camera and their fates become intertwined forever. Or until the murder. Oops. Um, Corrigan and the producer hit it off. They chat almost every day online. The producer's funny. He's understanding. He gives good advice. Corrigan was really lacking parental direction at the time, so he's eating this up, right? The producer, his name is Brian Kosas, and he's the owner of Cobra Video. Now, Kosas is born in Alaska. He's raised in Pennsylvania. He graduates from Rochester Institute of Technology, works as a medical photographer for a local eye doctor, but then he eventually leaves that business, and he's determined to start his own business. So after a bunch of failed business ventures... In 2001, he's in a cell phone venture. These all sound like schemes, but anyway. At the time, police discover a videotape. I don't know how they discover this tape. Like, how would the police dis- just happen upon a videotape of yours? There must have been some kind of tip-off, I- I'm assuming. Um, anyway, they discover a videotape of Kosas. He was then 39 years old, and in the videotape, he's um, doing sex things with a 15-year-old boy. So that's not cool. Uh, Kosas had had two encounters with the boy, one on videotape. Kosas pleads guilty to one count of sexual abuse, and he's charged with child pornography. But since the boy lied about his age, Kosas is only given probation, and he's dumped from the cell phone venture. I wonder how the assault came to be. Like, this is pre-Cobra. So where and how, you know, did the police know about the video? And, and you know, and, and also, where did he meet this boy? Well, I guess online, probably. You. Okay. After all these failed business ventures, he decides to create Cobra Video. Uh, now, this is the perfect business for him because he's a sleazy guy who likes underage boys, and now he's got a reason to be contacting them. He's not, or at least boys that look underage. It's not long before he files for bankruptcy with Cobra Video, but he persists and continues with Cobra, obviously, for obvious reasons, um, which specializes in low-budget, barely legal bareback films. So the company says it is dedicated to capturing the erotic essence of youth. Don't try to dress it up. (laughs) Don't try to dress it up. In the next five years, Kosas and Cobra Video do extremely well financially, but we're going to revisit that in a little bit. Now, back to Corrigan, okay? Kosas likes what he sees, and he flies Corrigan out to Pennsylvania to film a solo sex scene. Excited for the opportunity, Corrigan packs his bags, he lies to his mom, saying he's going to intern at a film company out east. The solo scene with Kosas goes really well. Corrigan agrees to stay on and film other scenes. This time, he's going to have sex partners. He signs an exclusive contract with Kosas, and Corrigan becomes the fresh new face of Cobra Video. Bum, bum, bum. Now, Corrigan gets $3,500 for his first videos, uh, named Every Pool Boy's Dream and Casting Couch 4. It always makes me laugh whenever it's, like, number four. Because, like, the first one sounds good. Like, Casting Couch. Okay, that's cool. Casting Couch 2. Okay, all right. Casting Couch 3. All right, all right. Like, <laughs> Casting Couch 25. Like, it's, it's just funny. You know how the sequel is never as good as the original? So by the time you get to, like, <laughs> these bigger numbers, it's like, how bad are these movies? Okay. These movies are all shot in Florida. In his next films, he meets rising star Brent Everett, and the two hit it off. 
They filmed the movies Schoolboy Crush and Bareboned Twinks and also shot in Florida. And this is when Corrigan chooses his name. So he chooses Brent as his first name after his good friend, Brent Everett. And he finds the name Corrigan in a phone book, which he says sounds Irish, which would be a nod to his Irish roots. So during the second set of movies, Corrigan and Kosis sleep together for the first time, which I'm sure Kosis was super happy about. Um... By all accounts, Corrigan was not into it, but, you know, he just did it. When Corrigan goes back to San Diego, Kosas starts sending him money and gifts and feeling for the struggling Corrigan. In San Diego, Corrigan has enough of slumming it with the flophouse with his mom. He moves out and he finds an apartment on Craigslist. Now, the owner of that apartment tries to sleep with him. He refuses, so he gets evicted. Then a friend introduces Corrigan to Grant Roy. We have to remember this name because now he's an integral part of the story, too. He's a beefy 40-year-old Texan. And Roy shares a house in San Diego with his boyfriend at the time, and he's got an extra room for rent. So Corrigan moves in for $500 a month, which is the same amount that Kosas is sending him to help set up his living arrangements in San Diego. Okay, so now we've been introduced to Joe and Harlow. They're the pair, the escorting pair. And now we've got Corrigan, and now he's moved into the house with Roy. And then we've got Brian Kosis, who's the owner of Cobra Video. We got it? Okay. These are the players. Now, not long after Corrigan moves in, of course, Roy breaks up with his boyfriend and starts to feel romantically towards Corrigan. A businessman at heart, Roy also sees dollar signs and potential business pairing for the two of them. So Roy tells Corrigan, hey, why don't I shop you around a little bit? We can make more money from the other studios. Actually, if you really want to clean up, we should start your own company, and that way when you're old, you'll still be pulling in money from your ventures. So Roy becomes Corrigan's manager slash boyfriend soon. Their business plans grew into romantic entanglements, and the pair become exclusive. I mean, other than the fact that Corrigan is filming porn, and Corrigan is also sleeping with Kosas. Okay. In San Diego, Roy starts doing publicity for Corrigan on a site called JuicyGoo.com, where he talks about starting his own company for Corrigan. Kosis learns about this, and he's enraged since Corrigan just re-signed a new contract with Cobra Video. Kosis and Corrigan have a huge fight. Corrigan calls Kosis and threatens him with the fact that he had been a minor when they first met. Now, remember, Corrigan lied to Kosis at the beginning and filmed a bunch of videos, I think like four videos, when he was 17 years old, and you have to be 18 to film. So Kosas didn't know this at the time because it was a total lie from Corrigan. He had a fake ID and everything. But now that Corrigan is trying to do his own, he's getting he's getting uh, a name for himself. He's making money. He's gaining popularity. Corrigan wants to branch off on his own, make his own money, and make his own decisions. But he's under contract with Cobra Video. So Brian Kosas is like, no, you're under contract. But Corrigan's like, hey, dude. I filmed underage videos with you, and if you don't let me do what I want, then I'm going to go to the FBI, which is exactly what he does. Their entire relationship implodes. Corrigan calls the FBI to tell them that Cobra Video has movies of him underage. As revenge, because Kosas is not one to be fucked with, Kosas applies to the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office to trademark the name Brent Corrigan, and he writes huge long letters to his former star saying how wounded he is that Corrigan would betray him like this. So, as revenge, Kosas is like, okay, fine, you're going to rat on me to the FBI for something I didn't even know about? Okay, I'm going to trademark your name so that you can't use it in other projects. 
The feud turns epic. On JuicyGoo.com, Kosas goes under the name King Cobra, and Roy, who remembers representing Corrigan, goes under the name Cobra Killer, and the two are battling it out online. Now, the old the old adage, any publicity is good publicity, is totally true in this case, since during this time, the largest porn studio based out in San Diego comes calling for Corrigan. Falcon Studios gives him the lead in their newest blockbuster, The Velvet Mafia, which ironically is a movie about a porn industry turf war over a twink porn star, which had been written before the Cobra video scandal breaks. Which is so weird. It's 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 Brent Corrigan's story. So they saw this happening in the news, you know, on the websites and stuff. So they, Falcon is like, oh my god, this is like the real life version of this movie that we've already have written. Let's get Corrigan on board. So Corrigan, in order to film with Falcon, uses a different name, and that name is Fox Rider. Every time, every time Corrigan tries to use his real name or his Brent Corrigan name. On other projects, Kosas's lawyers step in and they block him. And then Corrigan's lawyers send Kosas a bill for lost wages. So it, this is a, a really nasty back and forth that's happening between these two. Eventually, the feud starts to veer towards a settlement, and Corrigan, along with his manager boyfriend Roy, start to look seriously for scene partners for upcoming projects. So eventually, it starts to they start to find a way forward. The best way at the time to find potential workmates is on different websites like Manhunt, Adam for Adam, Dudes Nude, also checking the escort sites uh, and menforrentnow.com. And this is where Roy sees the profile of Harlow Quadra for the first time and thinks this is what we're looking for. So it's actually Grant Roy, who is Corrigan's manager slash boyfriend, who finds Harlow online on an escorting site. And he thinks, oh, this is going to be the perfect scene partner. This is what we want. God, he's wrong. Oh, sorry. I uh, don't want to spoiler anything. Okay. Remember, Joe and Harlow are drowning in debt due to their expensive tastes. And although they make good money with the escorting business, their movie empire has pretty much stalled. So Corrigan is now being represented by his manager boyfriend, Grant Roy, who is also the lead in Corrigan's ongoing battle with Kosas to retain the legal use of his stage name, Brent Corrigan. And it's through Roy that the Viper duo contact Corrigan and set up a meeting to speak with them during the Adult Video News Convention, which is the largest annual porn industry gathering in Las Vegas. So, at the AVN, or Adult Video News Convention in Las Vegas, this is where Joe and Harlow fly out there to be part of the convention, obviously. And then Corrigan and Roy are also there, obviously. And so is Kosis. So all of the players are in Las Vegas at the same time. Joe and Harlow are determined to impress Corrigan and win him to their side. They woo him with expensive meals. They offer him gifts. During one meal, they come up with an offer, $25,000 to film a couple of scenes. Corrigan and his manager are immediately, they're seeing red flags and they're like, that's an obscene amount of money. You guys are nuts. But even despite the meals, the gifts, the money offers, Joe and Harlow still have a big problem standing in their way of having Corrigan appear in a Viper Boys production, and his name is Brian Kosis, the owner of Cobra Video and the man who has Corrigan under lock and key contract. Name-wise, anyway. 
But Joe and Harlow have already thought of the slight hiccup, and they have devised a plan. So sitting at what Roy describes as the most expensive meal he's ever had in his entire life at the Bellagio Hotel on January 11th. I wonder what the bill came to. Like, Grant Roy, so, and he's a 40-year-old man, so he's had a lot of meals. I'm sure he's, you know, eaten at some nice places, and he's saying that this is the most expensive meal he's ever had in. Now, the Bellagio is a nice hotel, grant it. I just want to see the bill. I want to know. All right, anyway, Joe and Harlow are nuts. They're a million dollars in debt, and they're just, like, throwing their money around. It's not even there, throwing this borrowed money around. They're all sitting at dinner, and then Joe and Harlow bring up basically the elephant in the room, you know, which is Kosas, Brian Kosas. He is the problem. He's standing in the way of them doing work together. So they say, they turn to Corrigan and Roy, and they say, well, what if Kosas went to Europe? And then Corrigan's like, uh, he'd come back. And then Joe and Harlow are like, well, what if he goes to Canada? So... Roy clues into what the guys are saying at this point, and he's like, no, you guys. Like, I, I love that you have to, <laughs> that this is even a conversation. And he and he's like, no, guys, come on now that we can, no, no. Like, oh, my God. Then Joe says, I have a client that's into that sort of business who will do anything for me. And Roy is basically like, if anything happens to Kosas, the cops are going to look to us first. It's been so ugly between us. And he's right. The cops are obviously going to, you know, come after Corrigan and Roy first. If anything would ever happen to Kosas. But anyway, that part of the conversation basically only lasts a couple of minutes with within a few hours long meal. So all the men are basically drunk. Roy and Corrigan don't even really think about it much more. I mean, it was a small sliver part of the conversation. But <laughs> back in their respective cities now, Joe and Harlow back on the East Coast, Corrigan and Roy are back in San Diego. Joe and Harlow call Corrigan on January 16th angry. They are angry because he hasn't posted any news on his blog about working with Viper Boys. And as Corrigan's manager, Roy is really mad. He is infuriated at their impatience, and he gets into an argument with Joe, who we already know Joe has anger management issues, so I'm sure it didn't take much for Joe to go from zero to 60. He loses his temper, and he threatens that the deal would be off if Corrigan doesn't post something online soon. Like, okay, so the deal's off. You guys are obviously loose cannons anyway. Like, I don't... Roy doesn't take kindly to the threat, and he tells them to fuck themselves. I think that's a, literally a quote. Um, but Joe and Harlow go full steam ahead with their plans to collaborate with Corrigan. So these two do not take no for an answer. I mean, they're desperate. They're a million dollars in debt. These guys are super desperate. So, All right. So they send uh, an email blast to their followers saying, hey, Corrigan is going to work with Viper Boys, and sp specifically with Harlow. Okay. So to put their plan in motion to infiltrate the Kosas home and take care of their little problem, because now Joe and Harlow are like, well, we need to take care of Kosas too, because he's obviously standing in our way. He, they're blaming him for being in the way. Harlow invents an alter ego named Danny Moylan and completes an application online for Cobra Video emailing Kosas saying, quote, I would love to get into the business. Maybe we can meet and talk about it. I don't have much experience, so I may need to be taught first. 
So he's baiting him. Like Harlow knows that Kosas is into young looking slash underage boys. Harlow is exactly that. He just looks it at least. And he knows how to get in with Kosas. Now Kosas doesn't know what Harlow looks like, which is to their advantage, obviously, and that's the way that they're getting in. So Harlow emails him with an application and a photo saying, hey, and I need to be taught. Who can, who could possibly teach me? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Kosas, for his part, is doing business as usual. He's auditioning boys who are barely legal to appear, appear in his bareback films. And it's really, really paying off. He owns a Maserati convertible, a BMW sports utility vehicle in Aston Martin. In property-wise, he's got his home. He's got two parcels of land and no mortgages. So, now, this is the night. On January 24th, Kosis is preparing his home, and probably himself, with a bit of manscaping, etc., to audition, quote-unquote, a new recruit coming to see him by the name of Danny Moylan. The doorbell rings, and Kosis answers it. Moylan introduces himself. Kosis invites him in. The two sit on the couch and drink. But what happens next, we may never really know the exact details because there are so many conflicting stories. Conflicting stories from the people who are later arrested for this. So let's just get into this. Um, Harlow at first takes the entire blame for the murder, but then he changes his mind and he tries to pin it on Joe. Now, Joe seems to confess also to the murder at some point, but then he retracts, he retracts his statement and then, well, so let's look at each scenario one at a time. Okay. So before going to the Kosas house, Joe and Harlow are talking about strategy They're getting a little bit tipsy, and Joe turns to Harlow. He says, Harlow, we don't need to do this. We have way more money than Kosis, to which Harlow... Like, I love that it's just about money. Like, how much money... And and first of all, you don't have more money than... you're, You're wildly in debt. Like, I don't even... How can you say that you have more money than he does? And and even if you did or didn't, who cares? Are you happy? Oh, wow, I'm going way too airy-fairy on that one. Sorry. Um, Okay. So he says, oh, yeah, he says, hey, Harlow, do we really need to do this? We've got tons of cash. Harlow allegedly responds, all right, let's not do this. We've just wasted all of this time and all of this money. Now, Harlow knows how to push Joe's buttons and wasting time and money are something that he just drives Joe nuts. So he says, fuck it, we'll do it. Okay, now we've got a couple different scenarios of what actually happens. In scenario A... We're on the night of the murder. Kosas is sitting on the couch with Harlow, and things get a little bit handsy, as we could expect them to. There's some kissing and groping and drinking as Harlow is playing the part of someone there to audition for Cobra Video. Joe, tired of waiting in the car, because he's waiting outside, gets out and he walks up to the house. Now, he looks in and he sees on the couch um, Harlow, his boyfriend, his lover, Um, with Kosis. Now, we know how overprotective and jealous this guy is. He gets anger management issues. He gets enraged. He enters the house. He sneaks up behind Kosis, and he slits his throat from ear to ear. He stabs him 28 times. Then he sets the house on fire, and they run out. That's scenario A. Now, in scenario B, Harlow is on the couch again with Kosis, and they're drinking again. 
But Joe is waiting out in the car. Now, Kosas gets super relaxed. He's in a good mood. He lets his guard down. Harlow takes the opportunity to slit his throat and stabs him 28 times, sets the house on fire, and then he runs out. That's scenario B. Now, there's a far-flung scenario C that pops up later on after they're arrested, where Joe tells a newspaper that the pair had actually come to Kosas to work on a plan to work with Corrigan, but when they got to the house, the door is already ajar and they smell smoke. They see a form on the couch and they hear somebody rummaging through Kosas's things upstairs. Okay. So now what we do know for sure is that firefighters rushed to the Kosas residence that night at 8.34 p.m. to respond to and put out a blazing fire. After the fire is out, firefighters find the charred body of Brian Kosas lying on the couch. Investigators can see clearly that it isn't the fire that kills Kosas that night. He was dead when the deliberate fire was set, stabbed a multitude of times, and his throat cut from ear to ear, almost decapitating him. But the body is so charred that he can only be identified through dental records. The house is ransacked and items are missing, including Rolex watches, computers, and all the master tapes. Now, law enforcement agencies from three different states and from three different federal agencies get involved in the case. Law enforcement interview Amy Withers, which is Kosas's 23-year-old neighbor. She says she... She says he slept during the day and he worked at night. She would hear car doors open and close at 3 a.m. and sex noises coming from the jacuzzi on the back deck. She says he always wore aviators, a baseball cap, and basically he scared the hell out of her. She says, picture a creepy porn guy. That would be him. I mean, okay, let's not stereotype, lady. Kosas's other neighbor, a close family friend, is asked not to talk to the public about their son out of respect. So that evening after the murder, Corrigan receives a cryptic phone call from Harlow, who says, looks like our guy took care of things for us. I mean, it's not, I mean, it must have been cryptic at the time, but it's pretty obvious what he's saying. Early investigation by police discovers the bitter legal battle that Kosas had with Corrigan, who immediately becomes a suspect. But they soon discover that Corgan and his manager, Roy, were on the opposite side of the country at their home in San Diego the night of the murder. So the police keep digging and they find another suspect. A screen test, as we know, had been set up for that evening with a one Danny Moylan. Moylan's application is found and, of course, it includes a photo. I mean, these guys aren't very bright. This is, they thought, they, they probably thought like, oh, they had this great idea that, oh, I'm going to sneak in and pretend, like we don't even have to break in. I'll just pretend I'm there to audition or whatever. But you're using like your actual photo and, and I mean, you're using you, like there, there's a trail. There, there is a bigger trail, you'll see. Anyway, the police, obviously they have the photo, they distribute the photo to try to get any leads and they get a really big one because it turns out that Danny Moylan is really Harlow Quadra from the Virginia Beach area. So it did not take them long to find out who it was. Police find credit card records and surveillance video showing Joe and Harlow renting a car, going to a pawn shop, buying an expensive knife and traveling up to Pennsylvania the night of the murder. The same car is spotted outside the Kosa's house and the knife turns out to be the murder weapon. I have one question. Why go to a pawn shop and buy an expensive knife to be the murder weapon? Okay, wait, I'm having a thought. Maybe you go to a pawn shop because you think it's untraceable. But don't pawn shops always have lots of video 
surveillance. And then why do you have to buy an expensive knife? Like, see, th these guys are terrible with money. Why do you have to spend a lot of money on an expensive knife as the murder weapon? Can you just use any, any old cheap knife as long as it's sharp? I don't, why are you wasting your money? Why, 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 why ask why when it comes to Joe and Harlow? All right. Cell phone tracking uh, places both men at the scene of the crime also. So police get a search warrant and they find Kosas's belongings at Joe and Harlow's home. That looks pretty guilty. But, of course, there's no Joe or Harlow to be found. Why didn't they take Kosas's things with them when they disappeared or destroy them somehow? Why would you steal his stuff, bring it to your house... And then just leave it there and take off. It, you're basically saying, yes, it was us. We did it. We were there. Um, now come find us. I don't. You're leaving like a trail. The pair go on the run and they flee to South Beach, Florida. They buy a condo. They set up shop. They start escorting. Joe still has his heart set on having Corrigan film with Viper. Well, listen, he knows what he wants. This is a, you know, he wants what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> he still wants to have Corrigan film with Viper Boys, and he keeps contacting him to do this. So Corrigan basically, I mean, he obviously hears what happens with Kosas, and he's naturally suspecting of Joe and Harlow, who basically said in Vegas, what if Kosas disappears? So Corrigan talks to FBI and the police, and together they hatch a plan to capture Joe and Harlow and to get the two to confess to the murder of King Cobra. So on their next call together, Corrigan agrees to meet with the Viper Boys, and he invites them to his home in San Diego. Now, Joe and Harlow, obviously they're thrilled. They fly out. What? Like, I love that they're still on. The, they, they must have just assumed that they got away with it. They must have just been like, we did it. We got away. We're in Florida now. Nothing can hurt us. Joe and Harlow fly out west to meet with Corrigan and Roy in the, in the agreed upon place, that place being Black's Beach. So if you are unaware with Black's Beach, it's a nude beach. Where else would a porn couple meet a porn star and his manager to talk about future projects? So the four men are lying naked on the beach. They're soaking in the sun and they're talking business. There's a wire hidden in the car keys in Brent Corrigan's car keys, because obviously, where else are you going to put it? I was thinking, like, up your butt, but then I, I don't think you would get really good sound, except from a fart there. So, yeah, where are you going to put the wire? You're going to put it in your car keys, and you're going to put it right beside Joe and Harlow, so they can confess to a murder. Um, okay, so Corrigan probes the men, obviously, for information about the night of Kosas's murder, uh, which basically they're giving up w willingly, because they're not the brightest bulbs on the tree here they're practically bragging about it harlow says don't worry he went quick seeing that fucker go down actually it's sick it made me feel better inside almost like we got revenge i know that sounds fucked up okay so there's a few back and forth like that the fbi are like okay we have enough they swoop in they arrest them and there's a bunch of other charges too that go along with that obviously for the fire and the stealing and the Harlow later remembers that Joe tries to comfort him during the arrest, taking his hand, saying, quote, just be strong, Harlow. We're going to get through this. Don't do anything stupid. Uh, I think the time has passed for doing stupid things. Like, you are stupid. You did stupid things. That's how we got here. Yeah, it's full of stupid. There's a whole, whole slew of stupid. 
Uh, anyways, the last physical contact the men will ever have. Oh, Yeah, with each other, but I'm sure in prison they got a lot more. All right, at first, Joe claims innocence in the whole thing. Okay, this is where it gets complicated, because obviously the police want to get down to what exactly happened. Like, obviously these guys are implicated, but who did what and what exactly happened? So Joe claims innocence in the whole thing, and Harlow backs him up, taking the blame, and Joe ends up agreeing to a plea deal uh, to avoid the death penalty. Uh, he pleads guilty to conspiracy to commit arson, evidence tampering, second-degree murder, and he gets life without parole. Harlow is a different story. He goes from taking the blame for the crime to changing his mind, and then he pleads not guilty, which prompts a trial using the defense that Joe is the one who went through with the murder and not him. So now they're turning on each other, right? Unfortunately for Harlow... Uh, the jury does not buy it, and he's found guilty, and he gets life without parole. He claims it. He claims his innocence to this very day. His friends and family all sort of support his claim of innocence, and they try to raise funds so that they can hire lawyers to defend him. And they sell like ridiculous uh, items, like aprons and coffee mugs with like Harlow's face on it, so that they can raise money uh, for his defense which is just, sounds all silly. Years later, in an interview, Joe seems to confess to the murder, as I mentioned before. He says, quote, I was in there, I heard it, I was jealous, and I said, this is enough. Well, so, right, that all sounds totally plausible too. Joe was a bigger guy. Joe is the one with anger management issues. Joe was super protective of Harlow. So if there was a scene going on with Harlow and Kosis, then obviously Joe would have lost his mind even though that was part of their plan, was to get Kosis, you know, relaxed and in the mood and, you know, to let his guard down. Anyway, but soon after, of course, Joe, um, after Joe confesses, he retracts his statement. And when he's questioned why he would even say something like that, he says, well, because, quote, well, because I had such a wonderful, loving relationship with Harlow for so many years, and I still consider him the love of my life, and I wanted to do something to help him. Adding, though my hand did not swipe Kosas's neck physically, it did in every other sense. Both of them have taken blame. Both of them have retracted it. Harlow was covering for Joe. I mean, this is such a mess. It, it's such a mess on so many levels, also because Joe... Why else would they have driven up there that night? It was certainly not to talk to Kosis about working together. Come on. So, you know, and the fact that they had said that thing in Las Vegas, what if you could disappear? I know somebody. Well, that's the other thing. Get your third party to do it. They had said that they knew somebody who could do it. Um, so why not contact that third party to take care of it for you? Because there's that sketchy third scenario that was being bantied about where they show up, the door is open and there's already smoke and somebody's rummaging inside. Well, if that's true, then that's the person that you hired. So why is that something that you would have told the police as a possible, you know? So none of it makes sense. It's very twisted. Um, who is telling the true story here? We will probably never know. The two are in prison. They have life sentences. They're not going anywhere. And so ends... The bizarre greed sex industry cobra video king cobra cobra killer murder house burning story of Brian Kosis Brent Corrigan.
Joe and Harlow. Oh, and don't forget Roy, the manager boyfriend. I mean, this story is just way too much. The The fact that you would... It just doesn't seem like a good enough reason to murder somebody to get somebody to star in one of your movies. Porn aside, never mind. Like, let's just talk about Hollywood. Is that something? What do you... Is that worth it? Is that... Couldn't you just find somebody else? I mean, like, is, is Brent Corrigan... No, okay, no matter who is the, the star du jour, right? Who is worth killing for? Nobody. Everybody's replaceable. Who cares? You blink and it's a new star. I mean, especially porn. I mean, you turn around and it's somebody else. Like, I just... This is so ridiculous. They have built it up so much in their minds, the importance of this. Yes, they were making great money. You were making great money with it. You're not good at managing your money, that's for sure. You were making great money, good for you. But then then you could make great money without Corrigan. Like, why go to those levels? You have bought so much into the whole system and the whole insular. And it's such a small world, like such a small bubble and you're so, it be, it's your whole world. And look, it's just completely taken over. These guys were just, they have drank from the fountain of, that's not a saying. Hold on. There's a, there's a saying. <laughs> they, oh, they drank the Kool-Aid. These guys just drank, they drank, well, not, they didn't just drink the Kool-Aid. They made the Kool-Aid, they mixed it up, and they passed it around, and, but they drank it first. It's just, I don't understand why you would want to go to that place for that. Because then what? People always get caught. You're not going to get away with it. Why would you even try? And you're not that bright. Anyway. Oh, I, you, have to, you have to hear about this. So I didn't put this in the story, but I did read about it. Where um, the parents, uh, so Joe Karekis' parents... You know, he comes from a super religious family. Um, his parents uh, knew basically about what he did. Um, but not only that, they were helping with his business, his escorting business, in the sense that the dad would do odd jobs around the house because um, they did a lot of in-calls. So in their house, they had a whole section I don't know if it was one room. I feel like it might have been a, a couple rooms where they just, it was all decked out to receive, you know, gentlemen callers or um, clients. So they had a massage table. They had a oversized shower. They had a jacuzzi. Like they had it really set up. But who do you think was washing the towels and cleaning out the jacuzzi and hosing shit down? It was the mom. The mom is in there cooking and cleaning and taking care and and she had the nerve to pretend that she didn't know what was going on and that she was like well oh i thought they just gave massages okay you thought they just gave massages like men are coming and going every two seconds and like and not only it wasn't just um joe and harlow using the room because it's their house but you know other escorts are using the room and stuff like 
I just, I mean, how fabulous of massages are you giving? That, and also that you're making that much money. Oh, suddenly you buy a $500,000 house. And the dad was just as bad too. Because at first when um, Joe, like in the past when he was coming out of the closet, the parents had trouble with it, obviously, because it's super religious family. And then um, they finally sort of come to terms with it, but they don't talk about it. And then Harlow moves in with Joe and they're like, oh, they're just friends. And then it's kind of this unspoken thing that, oh, wait, they're, they're more than friends. So I feel like this whole, you know, sex house, this whole porn house that they had um, where, you know, they had clients coming over and so the parents are like, oh, they just give massages. Mm, yeah, but the unspoken thing was, okay, no, they're actually running an escorting business out of the house. So it's kind of nice that it was a family business, um, although all of the denial and is just not healthy. It would have been nice if the parents were actually aware and supportive because guess what? Joe could have supported them as well. Sounds like, well, except for all the debt, but you know, he, Joe could have used, maybe the dad was good with money. Maybe the dad could have done the books. Look at me trying to <laughs> just start a family business. The dad could have done the books, right? The mom could be, I'm not stereotyping moms that moms should be cooking and cleaning. I'm not saying that this mom was actually doing that. That's why I'm saying this. The mom could be like doing the, keeping the towels fresh and keeping the house looking good and, you know, ready to receive. And then, and then the guys could be off doing their thing and just receiving and going out and doing the thing. But nope, big denial. Um, what a weird situation. I mean, just that that's beyond, that's not just like, Ooh, my son is gay. We just don't talk about it. This is like, I work with my son in his porn slash escorting house. Let's just not talk about it. So I feel like for them, and I didn't read any mention of this, but I feel like for the parents to be so involved in Joe's business, that way, they must have been receiving some kind of financial benefit. I remember this time too, because this is um, the Bush Bush years. And during the Bush administration, there was a big actual crackdown on the porn industry. They were really, and probably uh, part of it had to do with this, because I mean, Corrigan goes to the FBI and he tells them, hey, there's underage movies of me out there I lied and and this guy filmed it and he's distributing it and he's making money this is child pornography right um so the FBI I mean that's a big deal so under the Bush administration I do remember there was a big crackdown on the porn industry in terms of um legal age and making sure that everybody was the legal age and everything um so part of you know getting that the wheels turning in that direction was this whole story with Cobra Video and and Brent Corrigan. And, you know, nobody deserves to die that way, obviously. Um, but this is not the story of an innocent victim in the sense that, you know, he was abusing children, basically. I mean, he, if he was presented with a fake ID from somebody that was just horribly done... There is no doubt in my mind that Brian Kosis would have overlooked the horrible forgery and just gone ahead with his videos. Also, very gross and shady that you would be sleeping with your um, your stars, with the with your guys on film. Super shady and gross. Like you talk about the power dynamic being skewed 
so far in one direction you know uh, you know like we talked about at the beginning a lot of these people come from broken homes or they they have mental health issues or they have drug habits or you know they have self-esteem issues and stuff like that so very easy picking very easy to manipulate very easy to control so for somebody like brian kosis who's an older well, older than them. I mean, they're like 16 or whatever. So anybody's older than them. Um, but being in the position of power, he's the one that's like, hey, I can give you this money. I can give you these opportunities. Um, you know, uh, even with Corrigan, that's what he was doing. You know, he was in this position of power. He was, um, they were eating at, out at fine restaurants. They were drinking great wine. He was buying him stuff. He was giving him money. I mean, he was really a sugar daddy. It wasn't just, hey, I'm I'm your boss. This is like, I'm your sugar daddy slash, yeah, we're, like we're sleeping together too. So this whole power dynamic that happens in, you know, especially with guys of that age, I guess in other studios were the actors are older, say they're 30s, even 20s. I mean, at least you have a little bit more life experience. You have more reasoning skills. But I mean, when you're like 16, 17, well, you shouldn't be filming anyway, it's illegal. But say you're 18, 19. I mean, it's so easy to be taken advantage of by somebody who knows exactly how to manipulate you. So um, all that to say, you know, Brian Kosas was not innocent, not an innocent victim in all this. And uh, not to say he had it coming, of course, being murdered is never good. Um, but there are no, nobody is innocent in this, in this story, I guess. is Everyone is flawed in this story, as we all are. But, you know, there was no innocent victim in this story. Okay, so the sources I used for this story are Wikipedia for Brian Kosas, Wikipedia for Sean Paul Lockhart, which is Brent Corgan, and the Wikipedia for King Cobra, uh, theadvocate.com was a good one. Oh, I got a lot of information from out.com. That was a very complete article. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you in the next episode of True Gay Crime. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to find the True Gay Crime Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at True Gay Crime. And we'd love to hear from you. Do you have an LGBTQ crime story from your city? You can send your story to truegaycrime at gmail.com and I'll share it on a future episode of the show. Did you know you can subscribe, rate, and review True Gay Crime on Apple Podcasts? It would mean everything to me if you did because it helps me create content you like and it lets Apple know to share it with more people. Thank you for listening. And remember, always look behind you, lock your doors, Tell someone where you're going and look out for each other. Why can't we all just get along?